0: This is week number five in our series, Jesus in Selfie Mode. Uh, Jesus revealing amazing things about himself in the seven I Am statements in the Gospel of John. We've been uh, doing a selfie contest that's related to this week's I Am. This week, we're going to look at I Am the Resurrection and the Life. We ask you to send in... uh, uh, a selfie of you and others living life to the fullest. And here we go. Here we go. That's Jordan and Kara fair on their hammock. Keep rolling there, Daniel. That is uh, Grandma Robin. Yeah, and uh, all of the icy drinking granddaughters. This is good. This is the Negleys and the Rays uh, having a family cookout going on. Uh, this is the Cubios, uh Riding bikes on the airport runway, which is, uh, that's living life to the fullest, yes. This is the Ward-Negley-Kennedy family dinner. It looks pretty good, doesn't it? Nancy and her hairy buddy. Yeah, this is good. Keith and Jan Greenwald are on uh, Old Mission Point with the cherry blossoms. This is uh, Kara Stark-Baling and the climbing boys uh, who are in uh, Grandpa's tree there. There's Pastor Brant and his community small group men. And uh, this is uh, over at his house, I believe. This is Gail and Bruce, and they are there at the festivities in Boyne City uh, for Memorial Day. There's the family (coughs) and uh, enjoying all that happened last Monday. Al and Jane uh, are looking mighty fine, don't you think there? Yeah, this is good. Next we have Sabrina, Kara, and Danielle on top of Barn Mountain. Yeah, and uh, then we have uh, there's John Penfold playing his miniature little guitar. And uh, this is uh, some Dirty Dog Dashers from, from yesterday. This is the Eggers, Stefanics, Bradleys, Theodores. Uh, lots, lots of our folks were over there Dirty Dog Dashing yesterday. The winners uh, this week are yeah, the Ward family. You get some uh, pretzels down here, so they've got your name on it. The Negleys and the Rays. I don't know how you're going to split up your... Uh, pretzels, but uh, we wish you well. Covio family for risking your life on the airport runway. Uh, <laughs> Sabrina Carey, Danielle, we got Trail Mix, Karen the Climbers Trail Mix, Grandma Robin, you got a tub of cookies over here, so enjoy those. Alan, Jane, Kara, uh, and Jordan, we've got uh, one of my favorite books, Ordering Your Private World by Gordon McDonald, Nancy Sando, Keith and Jan, Gail. You all win Tim Keller's Prodigal God. And John Penfold, you get a variety pack. So uh, we we give you, uh, anyway, you'll you'll enjoy it, I think. For next week, next week, uh, we are uh, next week looking at I Am The Way, I Am The Truth, I Am The Life. So since we did life to the fullest this week, uh, next week, uh, Pastor Ellis Yahoo.com, way, a selfie of you moving in a good direction or truth, selfie of you expressing something true about you in your life. Okay, Either moving in a good direction or of you expressing something true in your life and you very well may win something next Sunday as we continue on. Uh, today I want to start with uh, one of the hardest, most difficult most challenging questions that we get answer, asked a lot. And we need an answer for it. Uh, here's the question. If Jesus loves us so much that he was willing to die for us on the cross, then why does he allow awful stuff to happen to us? Think with me. You tell me, and Scripture says that Jesus loves and cares deeply about us, then, then why do so many bad things happen to people that Jesus loves and cares about so deeply? Uh, we need an answer for the people who ask us that question. Give me your eyes. This is the number one objection to Christianity by skeptics. This, this is their number one thing that they ask about. If, if your God, if your Jesus is so loving, th- then why... Is there all of this evil and tragedy and suffering going on? So, we need an answer for the skeptics, but we need an answer for ourselves. We need an answer for those of us who are devoted and we love Jesus. We need to have a solid foundation for this question before the cancer diagnosis is delivered. We need an answer to this question before the car accident occurs. We need an answer to this question before you're forced to file bankruptcy. We need an answer to this question before your spouse is unfaithful and now you're in the middle of a divorce. You need an answer to this question before your child turns away from the faith they were raised in and now is involved in living wild and sinful, far from Jesus, far from God's book. We need to have that answer. So, why does Jesus, who we agree, Scripture tells us, loves us, and He proved that for all of eternity on the cross, if He loves us so much, here's the question, then why does He allow suffering? Why does He allow evil? Why does He allow pain, disease, in disaster to happen to the very people He tells us He loves. Locate with me on your phone, in your Bible, John chapter 11. I'm happy to report we've got some answers, and actually the question that we're asking right now actually gets raised right here in this section of God's book. Uh, stand with me if you're able. We're going to read out loud together John chapter 11, the first seven verses together. Ready? Read with me, would you please? Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. Let's pray. Lord, uh, you know that this question is common. (laughs) You, uh, You understand that we wonder why is there so much pain? Why is there so much trouble and trauma and suffering in this world? Lord, you understand that question so much. We're grateful that you give us answers. So first, I want to say thank you for those who got up and got themselves today to your church here in Walloon. Thank you, Lord, that uh, they uh, made it a priority to be here. And I pray, Lord, as we worship you, as we dig into your book, I pray that you'll speak and nudge and prompt and whisper. and Help us, Lord, to tune in and hear from you today. I want to pray specifically right now for those they are here in your church, but the truth is they're hurting. Some of them are right in the middle of one of life's storms. Some of them are uh, feeling some really bad stuff right today. And I pray that today your word might bring encouragement, might bring hope. Lord, I pray that today you might bring answers. Lord, thank you for giving us answers and uh, help us to dig in and understand. I I pray for grace. I pray for comfort. I pray for mercy, Lord, to rain down on each of them in this time of need. Lord, we invite uh, your spirit, the very Third person of the Trinity to be welcomed today in your church. Would you come and meet us? And all the church family gathered at Walloon Lake said with one unified voice, Amen. Let me see. There's a popular, even, I would say, growing way of thinking, philosophy. In churches, amongst even committed followers of Jesus, and here's how this philosophy, this mindset, uh, plays itself out. It says this: I love and serve Jesus faithfully, and I love God's Word, and I read it regularly, and I even love the church and I attend frequently, and I'm willing to give of my time and my talents and my treasure, but then I have this expectation of God in return. Uh, Here's what I expect. In return, Jesus, I expect your blessings on my life. In return, I expect you to protect me from bad stuff. In return, Jesus, I expect that you insulate me from things like uh, cancer or car accidents or bankruptcy, or prodigal children. Uh, Jesus, I'll hold up my end of the bargain. I'll serve you, and I'll do that faithfully, but I expect you to protect me. I I expect you to pamper and protect me and those that I love, And, and then we got this good arrangement going. I'll do my end. I'll faithfully serve you, but then I expect that you'll do your end, and you'll only allow maybe a few minor bumps and bruises to come my way. You understand the bargain? And I'm telling you, this is a growing way of thinking in churches, even like ours. And it's an okay bargain until things get turned upside down. It works until somebody with this expectation Um, Suddenly now, their world gets turned upside down and now really bad stuff starts to happen. And suddenly now, uh, their faith begins to crumble. Their faith is suddenly shattered because in their minds, Jesus, I was holding up my end of the bargain. Hey, Jesus, what happened on your end? Uh, I was being faithful. I was doing all this stuff that I was told I should be doing, uh, are you sleeping? Are you not paying attention? What's up, Jesus? I, I, I thought you were supposed to do your stuff if I did my stuff. And I've seen people leave church. And I've seen people turn their back on Jesus. And I've watched as people who had this expectation walk away and lose their faith and lose their trust in Jesus because they thought they were expecting they had a deal going with Jesus Christ. And now, what's going on? I expected for you, I'm going to faithfully serve you. And then in return, you're going to mostly shield and insulate me and my loved ones. And I won't have to endure really painful, hard, uh, trouble and suffering, none of that will come my way if if I do my part. Now here's what you need to know, give me your eyes. On Christian television right now this mindset is huge. Most of the folks on Christian television, most of the evangelists and preachers actively promote this way of thinking. You got this bargain, you do your end, and then the Lord will insulate you and put you kind of like in bubble wrap, and nothing really, really bad will happen to you. And I just, right now, I want to line that way of thinking that's very popular and growing. How does that line up with John chapter 11? Isn't that what really matters? How does this line up with God's book? Go to verse 5, John chapter 11. It says that now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Uh, agape is the word. Now Jesus agape Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Agape is the love that Jesus uh, demonstrates. He loves us faithfully, and eternally, and sacrificially. that That's the unconditional love of Jesus Christ. And I just want you to see verse 5, very intentionally, uh, that gets spelled out very clearly. Why? Because it's like John knew, we would be thinking, you know, uh, Jesus must not really care much for Mary or Martha or Lazarus, because Why, if he really loved them, why would he allow some situation that was so awful to happen to them? Jesus must not really love them very much. But I want you to understand, verse 5 is clear. Now Jesus loved, sacrificially, unconditionally, eternally, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Slide down to verse 6 this is where it gets interesting. It's where you get a little confused. Uh, so when Jesus heard that Lazarus was sick, Jesus stayed where he was. How much longer? Two more days. Okay. So Jesus hears he's sick unto death, the one you love, and in Jesus like finds other stuff to do, other people to teach, other people to heal uh, instead of running to Lazarus. Now wouldn't you think wouldn't you think if Jesus really loved Lazarus, he'd uh, call out to Gabriel and hitch a ride to Bethany? Wouldn't you think that? If if Jesus really really loved Lazarus and Mary and Martha, wouldn't he at least find uh, 13 strong horses to giddy up as fast as possible to go save his friend's life? Wouldn't you think that? You can answer, what do you think? Yeah, well, what's going on here? But verse 4 gives us a bit of a clue. Look at verse 4 with me. He's already said this. This sickness will not end in death. He says this to the disciples. No, it is for God's glory so that God's Son might be glorified in this situation. Which tells us there's something more important going on here than Jesus rushing back to prevent Lazarus from dying. There's something more important going on here uh, than Jesus rushing back to prevent Mary and Martha from going through the grief and the mourning, and the sadness, and and the fear that they were going to endure. There's something more important going on in this situation. And and that's why verse 4 is so telling. It says, the Son of Man, Jesus, was going to shine bright in this situation. Jesus was going to be glorified in, in this event that we would say this is awful. No, there's something more important than the comfort and the shielding from trouble of Jesus shielding Lazarus and Mary and Martha. And that's what you need to understand. There's something more important that's at work here. Catch this. You ready? If you're taking notes, we've got a place on uh, the back of your bulletin. Let me show you there. This is there every week, okay? That's for you to take some notes Okay. Here we go. Lazarus needed to go through this dying experience and actually die so that Jesus could shine bright. Lazarus needed to go through what we would call this awful event so that many would believe in Jesus as a result. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 verses 22 to 24 you could just write that down look it up later. I want to talk to you about it. Uh, there Jesus is ministering to the crowds. It's been a long day. Now Jesus takes his disciples down to a boat, and he says, I want you to go across, go to the other side. Jesus goes, dismisses the crowd. He goes up on a mountainside and prays. Jesus said, here guys, I want you to get in the boat, and I want you to go to the other side. And guess what the disciples row themselves into? Any guesses? (laughs) A storm. So Jesus literally sends his disciples, he instructs them to go straight into a storm. Uh, Wind and waves are smashing the boat. Uh, It's a bad situation. But I just want you to understand, Jesus intentionally sends the disciples that he chose, that he loves, that he's going to entrust the gospel to, He sends them straight into the middle of a storm. Jesus has some things the disciples needed to learn about Jesus and storms. And and the very best place for them to learn uh, what they needed to learn was what? Right in the middle of a storm. Here's the truth. At times, Jesus will instruct us and lead us Right in the middle of a storm. And we'll be thinking, you know, I'm pretty sure I, hear, I heard the Lord on this. I'm pretty sure I was listening close. And I'm pretty sure he led me to go here. And now I'm here and I'm right in the middle of a storm. What's going on? And here's what we need to remember. There are some things that we can only learn from a storm. Here, here's key thought right now. Jesus' love for his children is not a pampering, spoiling, insulating love. Now, now we think about it, well, of course you're going you're to take care of me, you're going to insulate me from trouble, you're going to spoil me rotten. But here's the truth, are you ready? Jesus' love for his children is a perfecting, refining, maturing love. And those are two very different things. The love that Jesus shows us He wants us to grow up. He wants us to become more like him. He's trying to refine us and get less of Jeff here and more of Jesus in me. Perfecting, refining, maturing is the kind of love that Jesus shows his children. Slide down John chapter 11 to verse 17. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. This is huge. Lord, if you had come quicker, Jesus, if you hadn't delayed, Lord, if you would have been on the scene, I know that Lazarus would still be alive. Uh, this is like her way of giving it to Jesus. Really? Why didn't you come quicker? Why didn't you come? They say the same thing. Jesus, if you had been here, uh, Mary says it here, Martha, excuse me, uh, Mary says it in verse 32, if you had not waited, if you had hurried, Lazarus would not have died. You you could have prevented his death. Uh, We think the same thing. When bad stuff happens, aren't we thinking that same thing? Jesus If you were paying attention, this wouldn't have happened. Jesus, if you would have come quicker, uh, maybe that car accident wouldn't have happened when I cried out. Jesus, if you would have been here, the cancer would not have spread to the vital organs. Jesus, if you were here in this situation, perhaps I wouldn't have lost my job. I love the fact that Mary and Martha are both so honest with Jesus And Jesus never rebukes them for asking hard questions. Isn't that good? Never yells at them, what are you doing? You can't ask me those questions. I've got a plan. He never rebukes them. He never scolds them. He never says, how dare you ask this of me. Um, They were just sharing. You could have stopped this, Jesus. You really could have. Verse 25. Jesus said to her, uh, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Martha, do you believe this? I love it. Martha, do you believe this? Now she thought, if you back up, she was pretty sure there's going to be this resurrection, and at the end of time, yes, my my brother, but... Uh, he says, no, no, that's not what I'm talking about. Uh, I didn't just say there's a resurrection coming, Martha. He says, look at it again, I am the resurrection. I'm the resurrection. And if you go to your right in your Bibles, in my Bible, it's six pages to John chapter 20, uh, Jesus actually doesn't just predict, but in John chapter 20, what he says actually comes about. He does conquer death. He literally, bodily, physically resurrects from the dead. So when he says, I am the resurrection, it's exactly true. And just a few pages later, it's exactly what happens. Now, Most of us, Think that right now we're living in the land of the living, don't you? How many would you say if I said right now we're living in the land of the living? That sounds that sounds right, right? That sounds uh, accurate, right? Today uh, and then when we die, we go to the land of the dead. But Scripture actually says that's exactly backwards. Track with me for a minute. Right now we are living in the land of the dying. And I hate to break it to all of us, but we're all slowly ticking down towards death. Some of us are ticking a little faster than others, right John? But we're all ticking every second, every minute, every hour closer toward death. And when our life is over, our heart quits beating, our lungs quit breathing. Then if we have believed in Jesus as our resurrection and life... Catch this, it's then that we get promoted and transferred to the real land of the living. You, you tracking? So, so in other words, right now we're living in the land of the dying. It's, it's when we uh, quit breathing and our brain quits waving, now we're going to be face-to-face with Jesus, coming is the new heaven and the new earth, no sin, no Satan, no sin nature, face-to-face with Jesus, this is our eternal joy, our eternal rest. This, this is the promised land. This is our reward at last. Now, question, do you believe that Jesus could have prevented and shielded and insulated Lazarus from dying? I mean, What would your answer be? Yes. Of course. So if he could have prevented it, let's go back. So why then did Jesus allow Lazarus, Mary, Martha, people he deeply loved, why did he allow them to go through this awful and painful experience? Just want to dig out some verses here. Look at verse 4. It says clearly, so God could be glorified, so that God the Son could be glorified in this situation. Why else did Jesus allow this to occur? Slide down to verse 15. So the disciples' faith might be strengthened. So they would get stronger and more mature, more refined in their faith and their trust in Jesus Christ by going through this situation. And if you go all the way to verse 45, if you don't know this story... By the way, Lazarus doesn't stay dead. Uh, Lazarus, come forth. And an old Puritan preacher said, if he hadn't said Lazarus, the whole cemetery would have emptied out. So Lazarus, come on out. And when he does, verse 45 says, many of the Jews who saw Lazarus raised from the dead believed and trusted in Jesus Christ. (laughs) There's a whole lot of why God is glorified, disciples' faith is strengthened, and many Jews believed in Christ because of this situation. I want to say it again. Jesus' love for us is not a pampering, spoiling, insulating, shielding kind of love. That's not the way he loves us. Instead, Jesus treats his children with a perfecting and a refining and a maturing love. In recent years, we've had, and I guess the longer I stay here, uh, 28 years, uh, now more and more people that I care about and love, their hearts quit beating, their their lungs quit breathing, and... uh, What I'm noticing is lots and lots of godly people are left, and the one that they love so deeply um, is gone. And I'm thinking of godly women and a couple of godly men who lose their spouse after 20, 30, 40, 50, there's been 60 years without uh, having been married and one and united and now they're gone. I'm thinking, and I'm just going to name people, and I apologize in advance because I'm possibly, but, but I've been to way too many funerals, people like Jenny Billings and Joyce Elzerman and Sus Gabrielson and Ruth Hayden and Martha Jepson and Phyllis Penfold and Linda Cadlick and Martha Krimendall and Lee Cloyd and Cindy Ward and Gordon and Teresa, Nancy Sando, Leanne Erie, Gladys Thomason, Gordie Etheridge, uh, Jan Gilmore. Um, Ruth fight. most recently Carol Nation. Why, why do I name... Because every time I, I'm a part of one of those, those funerals, and the, I'm asking, because I ask the question too, Lord, why do these women, why, why do these men, they've been faithful, they're godly, they love you and you love them, now, why did you allow them to go through this valley? Lord, Lord why did you allow death... To come, and now they're facing such hardship and pain and tears, and now they're they're missing so deeply that spouse that they lived with for so many years. Give me your eyes. Here's what I can say. I've seen I've seen it dozens of times, and yet the Lord shows up and he gives grace and strength despite the tears, despite the sorrow the Lord shines bright and walks with them through their loss. Now, perhaps we're just blessed with exceptional widows and widowers. Well, I do suspect that's true. But I also know, give me your eyes, we're blessed with an exceptional Savior who promises never to leave us, especially in these times of grief and loss and pain. He shines brightest and clearest in our great times of need. Now we might not like that truth, but it's true. Jesus shines brightest through us during the times that are most dark and difficult for us. That, that's when he shows up and, and he gets more honor and glory during those times. Remember the question we began here? this morning with? If Jesus loves us so much that he's willing to die for us, then why does God allow awful stuff to happen to people he says he loves and cares for so deeply? I'm going to give you the answer. Just here it goes. The Lord Jesus is more concerned with developing maturity, developing character, developing Jesus-likeness in us than making sure we're comfortable, than making sure we're insulated from the troubles of life. Jesus cares more about uh, shining bright and getting glory and have people see us walk through those times than he is for our ease and being pampered and spoiled. That's a fact that we don't always like, but it's still true. Every one of the disciples, every one of the disciples, Peter executed upside down, church history tells us. The Apostle Paul lost his head to Caesar's sword. Apostle John boiled in oil, exiled to rocky, barren, lonely Patmos. All of the disciples, most of them, all of them were persecuted and suffered. Most of them were murdered. Because of their devotion to Jesus Christ. So wherever did this notion come from that walking close and living faithful to Jesus Christ would insulate us, would shield us, would put us in this bubble, and it just doesn't line up with God's Word. But here's what God's Word says. Look back one last time. Verse 25, Jesus declares, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The one who believes in me will live. Even if you die, if you believe in me, whoever lives by believing in me will never die. And here's the most important question. Do you believe this? Have you believed this? And even if you're in the middle of a storm right now, will you continue believing this? Let's pray. Thank you for being the resurrection and the life. And thank you for loving us with a love that's bigger and stronger and different than we're used to. Thank you, Lord, for your perfecting, refining, maturing love for us as your kids. And and I even want to say thank you, Lord, for not pampering and spoiling and insulating us from trouble. Lord, thank you for loving us so much that you nudge us and prompt us and and even push us to grow up. And I want to pray right now for some of my friends who are in the middle of one of life's storm today. I know for a fact there's some that uh, things are not going well, there's struggle, there's pain, There's all sorts of grief going on, and I pray that even today, right now, Lord, they would understand the message of Lazarus and Mary and Martha. Lord, I pray that we would reject the lie that followers of your son, Jesus, don't have to go through bad stuff. It's not true of your son, Jesus. It's not true of the disciples. It wasn't true of Lazarus, Mary, and Martha. It hasn't been true down through church history. Lord, help us to know that even in the middle of hard, difficult, painful stuff, you walk right through the valley, right at our side. Help us to trust you. Help us to hold on tight And I pray, Lord, that we as a family, as a church family, will love and support and even carry each other through these times. So, Lord, bring to mind some folks around us who are struggling and hurting and uh, help us, Lord, to love and support and take really good care of those in the family. Lord, I would be uh, remiss if I didn't ask anyone here today who perhaps they're in church and they're interested in Jesus and God's word but there very well might be someone here today who's never made you Jesus the resurrection and the life they've never believed in the cross and your shed blood they've never accepted that you took their place And you took their place in the tomb, and they've never believed and personally received the fact that early on Sunday morning, you arose from the dead. So Lord, would you just knock real loud on their heart's door? Make it clear to them that right now they're living in the land of the dead and dying. And the only bridge that leads to the land of the living, eternal life is through your Son, Jesus. So if that's you here today, you need to say, yes, Jesus. I don't want to have my heart quit beating and my lungs quit breathing, and that's it. And now, face eternal consequences. For saying no thank you to Jesus. Jesus, I believe. And Jesus, I receive you as my resurrection in my life. I want you to come and take charge of my life. Come be my king, my boss, my lord, my ruler, my friend, my ever-present help in times of trouble. I need you in my life, Jesus. I'm saying yes to that. And if you're saying yes, right where you're seated, please don't leave here without talking to somebody. we got folks over in the prayer chapel. We've got folks over there in the prayer corner. We've got folks uh, all around you who'd love to celebrate. Get your Bible and get you started in a good direction in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks, Lord, for being awesome. Thanks for uh, doing things for us and working in ways that are even above and beyond us. We believe you even when it's hard. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray all of these things. Amen.